Um, all right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Beer Fish Fanatics. This is Granny with My Pop Fishing. We have here Kit with the Fishing Kit YouTube channel. And today we have another special guest. And this gentleman actually is someone I think uh, Fishing Kit and myself has actually, we, I think since we started this podcast, we've been wanting to get somebody from the Iowa DNR on. So uh, we're, we're extremely excited because we know we're going to get thrown knowledge left and right today, gentlemen. So um, with no further ado, we got Mr. Jeff, is it Kopaska? Did I pronounce that That's right? correct. Kopaska. Yep. Ooh, I I, let, let's just clear things up. I am, am an employee of the Iowa DNR. Okay. But since we are talking about beer, I am I'm not representing the Iowa DNR at this juncture. Ah, there we go. There we go. He's he's okay. off hours, man. Right? I am off hours. <laughs> All right. And okay. got a beer ready to go. There we go. So um, I always start off with a, a new beer. I actually am doing a new beer finally on this podcast today. Uh, I'm keeping it local too, or at least Iowa local. That is, uh, I got back pocket brewing and this one I'm doing the dark lager. It's starting to become fall it's slingshot dunkel. Um, this one is what 5.3 alcohol content. Um, it's a dark beer. Just so everybody can see. I don't know if anybody can see that. Boo. Yes. Perfect. There we go. Back and... pocket makes really good beer. They do. They do. Really um, good beer. I'm going to have this one. What are you drinking, Kit? Uh, let's see here. You got a Toppling Goliath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, <had laughs> I spun it all the way around just to get back to the beginning. And it's one I drink all the time on the shows. Yeah, it's a pseudo Sue. Pseudo Sue. Very nice. Go. I'm going with a Toppling Goliath myself. I've got a Dorothy, but uh, I actually uh, ran out to Alluvial Brewing Company here in Ames this evening and picked up uh, – some good stuff from there in case in case we go more than one beer deep on this podcast and uh we, we tend to uh not not, not it happens nothing, yeah nothing wrong <laughs> with that we, we tend to uh, a little bit but it's okay so um here we go gentlemen cheers 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 oh cheers cheers and this one just so people are wondering um it's actually it's not hoppy at all because the ibu is one it's 22 uh i think we mentioned that before right kit a couple episodes ago ibu uh it's the international bitter per units or something so yeah, yeah it's not it's not like an ipa for sure so it's definitely um digestible for someone who is not a hop fan so so what would a ipa's ibu be like typically uh 70? yeah Seven, i think 70, 70 and higher yeah 70 and higher and then you get you can get crazy you go to those double ipas and it can um it it'll wake you up i'll tell you that much for sure so uh yeah it's it's definitely uh whew, it can hit you but anyways enough about beer let's talk about fishing <laughs> we, we we got a uh you know a gentleman who whose life has been dedicated to fishing almost in a sense um that's why you know it was so awesome for you to to really come on here jeff and you know to give us an opportunity to really you know understand you and pick your brain because i know we have questions left and right so if, awesome. if you don't if you don't mind let's start there i mean if you uh can you tell us a little bit just about your background okay so i, I i'm hopefully i don't butcher this so you are a biometrician yes for the iowa dnr fishery correct correct what does that mean in plain english <laughs> in plain english <laughs> That means that I am the fisheries statistician for the state of Iowa. So it's my job to know how many fish there are, where there are, you know, if they're healthy, that kind of thing. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I oversee a lot of our data collection, data analysis, and uh, pro providing data to the public, things like that. 
Wow. Okay. So, okay. I had no idea because I was like, he does. Okay. What? What does he do, Kit? <laughs> we were talking about yeah. that before. We we're like, I was like, is that even a real word? What is this? <laughs> Sometimes I say biomagician instead of biomagician. <laughs> that that would actually probably fit correctly anyway. But do you mind? Can you tell us a little bit? You know your background, how, how you got into that, um, and just kind of, kind of, you don't mind? You know what's your day to day? What do you do? So uh, my day to day is honestly doing a lot of sitting behind the computer. However. Mm. Uh, I, I grew up here in Iowa, grew up over uh, in the Newton area, grew up playing in the creek that ran behind the house and got interested in fish and water and bugs and critters and stuff like that and just followed that passion all the way through. Um, I really uh, went to school more for the ecology, environmental studies, water quality kind of stuff. Okay. Um, I got, uh, got a degree in, in fisheries and water quality stuff at Iowa State, and in uh, my master's degree was from there. And then I stayed on and worked at Iowa State for a number of years as a research scientist. Mm -hmm. Clear Lake is a place here in Iowa. We have a fantastic fishery. It used to be in pretty serious decline. Uh, I worked on the restoration project to get Clear Lake uh, up and going again, and uh, uh -huh. it's been a fantastic success. Uh, Clear Lake is a, is a phenomenal fishery. It used to be just really muddy and turbid and, and bullheads with good walleyes too, but that was about it. And now the water's really cleared up. Uh, there's great largemouth and smallmouth, fantastic crappie fishery. Bluegills are coming on. Still really good walleyes. The yellow bass up there, pretty awesome. So yeah. it's a, it's, and let's be honest, it's probably one of the easiest places to catch a muskie in the world so mm. yeah. wow well we didn't plan this but you can tell them okay where are we going this weekend <laughs> we're actually going to clear lake this weekend yeah awesome we're yeah we just uh had kevin kevin on like what was it last week yeah, i have fished weeks. with kevin before I've, I've gone ice fishing with kevin in the winter and it's a phenomenal experience kevin does a great job yeah he does Oh, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> yes. Uh, you're going to have a great time with Kevin. He, uh, he does great work. Uh, he knows that fishery inside and out. If things aren't biting there, he'll run you to Rice Lake or Crystal Lake. And uh, yeah, you're going to have a great time. You should, you should definitely catch some fish with Kevin. When like the topic of restoring a lake comes up, like what's the whole process behind that? Like somebody just goes, Hey, let's, uh, let's just redo this whole lake. Here in Iowa, we have some of the most nutrient-rich lakes in the country, maybe in the world. I mean, not absolutely the most nutrient-rich, but on the whole, there's a there's a lot of um, there's a lot of nutrients. There's a lot of stuff to help grow fish, to grow you know the food source for the fish in our lakes. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is our lakes are a reflection of the landscape. We put a lot of fertilizer on our landscape to grow the crops. Not all of it stays there. So the watershed tends to um, bring a lot of nutrients, some sediment, things like that into our lakes. When the lakes get too full of nutrients, too full of sediment from the watershed, that's when we have to go in and do some restoration to the system. Mm. And so we start by looking at the watershed and what can we do to improve the watershed so once we fix the lake, it stays fixed for a long time. Mm. Uh, and so that's kind of the process. Once, 
once the water quality really declines, the fishery declines, then we initiate a project to figure out what we can do to fix the watershed and then do those activities, work with the farmers, work with the landowners in the watershed to fix those watersheds. And then if we need to do some uh, dredging in the lake or just different problem mitigations in the lake, then we go and do that part of the process too. So I've been involved in a lot of these restoration projects. You know, back when I was at Iowa State, we did the Clear Lake project, did a project at Crystal Lake, did a project at Lake of Three Fires uh, down in Southwest Iowa. We did the initial work on a project at Rock Creek Lake, which is between Newton and Grinnell. We never really got the buy-in from the farmers in the watershed to, to really fix the watershed there. So we have not ever followed through on a restoration project at that particular lake. But then there are, there are literally dozens of other lakes where we have done a lot of restoration. Um, the Iowa legislature has very, um, has, has done a good job of supporting lake restoration. It's really important to local communities. So there's mm -hmm. probably around nine to $10 million a year that they allocate to the DNR to work on fixing lakes. Mm -hmm. um, we just this summer are finishing, uh, this past summer, we were finishing up a restoration on Hickory Grove Lake, uh, just a few miles from Ames here. Mm -hmm. uh, we've done a bunch of work. Prairie Rose Lake out by Harlan in Western Iowa, phenomenal fishery right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, one that we finished up restoration on probably five years ago. So, I mean, I can, I can go on and on about fixing <laughs> lakes, but yeah, you know, that's, no, no, I it's it, that, it's that's, good to hear because uh we 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 i've spoken to other people at other states and we hear that you know other states their their dnr i guess you can say iowa's dnr really puts the money back into the lakes like you're saying back to use to to make it uh a, a success for fishing and uh we we wholeheartedly appreciate that and, and hearing that from other people from other states um and just hear people talk about that it goes to um uh, it, it really benefits, you know, the whole state as a whole, I think. And, and that's Absolutely. cool. It's awesome to Absolutely. hear that, you know, the, the DNR is really going in and, you know, and do that. Now, I, I had a, you know, a, a question that I, I wanted to ask you was in regards, I don't know if, the, if this is something you deal with a lot, but I, I'm guessing you do because, you know, you deal with stats and everything like, so fishing limits, how are those determined? And when I say determined, it's like specific species. Is it because are you guys looking to, we need to maintain a size or quantity of that fish or, I mean, how, how, what goes into that? Because all of a sudden it's, you know, it's 50 fish, you know, 50 crappies, one, you know, uh, five, 10 years ago, all of a sudden it's 25 now. Is it going to go down? Are we, you know, we're a little worried. Is it going to type of thing? So we're just kind of curious, like how, what goes behind the mad scientist numbers in regards to fishing limits, size and all that stuff. It's a fabulous question. And, and a very worthwhile question. Um, so the Iowa DNR takes the position that we do not want to overcomplicate regulations for our consi constituents. Mm -hmm. If you go to the state of Minnesota or the state of Wisconsin, the regs book is like this thick. <laughs> yes. Okay? yes. Because right. yep. there is a different regulation for every lake you know, not, and, and I'm being facetious there, yeah. but they really do. 
I think bend to public pressure a little bit more, maybe in Wisconsin and and Michigan or Minnesota okay. than we do here. And so, you know, there's some active uh, lakefront property owners at a certain lake, and they see too many cars from a different county showing up. And you know, we need a different regulation here. We got to cut mm. this down. There's too much harvest. Well up in those systems they aren't as nutrient rich as our system so the fish don't grow they don't grow as many fish they don't grow as fast so there is a definite uh, scientific and biological rationale for having lower limits like right now minnesota is implementing a five bluegill bag limit on a number of lakes and and wow. wisconsin has done the same thing hmm. and um you know, in Minnesota, it might take 10 years to grow a 10 inch bluegill. Whoa. In Southern Iowa, let's say in Little River Lake uh, down by Lamoni and Leon, mm -hmm. we can grow a 10 inch bluegill in three years. That's radically different. If you mm -hmm. can grow a 10 inch bluegill in three years, you don't need a, a harvest limit, a bag limit the same as you need in northern Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Similarly, if we can grow a lot of those fish, you know, we don't need a five fish bag. A 20, we went from an unlimited bag to a 25 fish bag about five years ago, something like that, five yeah. to eight years ago. Mm -hmm. um, our research into the fish populations in Iowa showed us that if we actually wanted to make a difference in harvest to like knock harvest down, if, if it was actually a problem, if we were over harvesting the fish, we would need to knock that bag limit down to between five and 10 fish. But in the vast majority of our systems, we do not over harvest those fish. There are, there are plenty of fish, there are plenty of fish growing, there are plenty of fish getting big, um, if there are fish population problems, it's probably a habitat problem, mm -hmm. a sediment from the watershed problem, a nutrient problem. It's not necessarily a fish problem. And it's not the harvesting so, problem. So that, that's what you're correct. Okay. That I mean, that, I mean, that's good to know because, um, yeah, cause we, we are, we've always wondered as is, is that something like, sh should we not take, you know, it's so many, if you're doing so good, <laughs> but then you know, no, it's just a balance in a sense. But right. now, um, now different species are different in that regard. Yeah. Um, so bluegills, not really a harvest issue. Crappies, if they have good spawning habitat, not really going to be a, a, a harvest issue. Okay. But if they don't have good spawning habitat, then they tend to boom and bust. And no matter how much or how little we regulate them, you can't regulate if they don't have a good spawn, mm. you know. You can't regulate yourself out of poor spawning. So crappies can be a little bit uh, boom and bust that way. We don't have a limit on white bass and there's some growing sentiment that potentially we should. We had a white bass die off in the Iowa Great Lakes probably about seven or eight years ago. And uh, they just got a virus and they all died. Wow. And um, wow. some of the recent research has shown that they have more of a life history like walleyes do and we have a pretty, not an overly restrictive bag limit on walleyes, but, but we really want to maintain our walleye populations. And if white bass are as similar to walleyes as, as they seem to be, 
there are certain systems where it would be worthwhile to have a pretty restrictive bag limit. Mm -hmm. Now, Red Rock, Sailorville, Coralville, Rathbun, those systems, there's a lot, a lot of white bass in those. Yeah. So not necessarily uh, a necessity in those systems, but in some of our other systems, Storm Lake, the Iowa Great Lakes, some of those might be, um, you know, a whole different animal, those natural lakes versus uh, these, these riverine uh, reservoir systems. So gotcha. the system makes a big difference too. Well, speaking of white bass, I was curious about the like the wipers because there's there's no limit on those either. So is that like is the stocking, you know, I I like I look up on stocking all the time and we yes. we stock stock that as a state like pretty aggressively it looks like. Is That's that correct. is that the yep. reason why there's no limit on those either? The reason isn't because there's uh because we overstock them. The reason really is um until they're about 15 or 16 inches, they're almost uh, you cannot differentiate between them and a white bass. Mm. So we are contemplating hybrid striped bass regulations, but that regulation would probably be something along the lines of one fish over 18 inches or something mm. like that. Okay. So, so because if the fish gets to that size, it's a hybrid striped bass. And if right. we want to maintain those populations, um, especially of those larger fish, then it would be a, a kind of a one over regulation that would be most beneficial because the smaller ones, like I say, you catch a 12 inch hybrid, you, you can tell me, oh, absolutely. The lines are broken on the side and blah, blah, blah. It's gotta be a hybrid. That's, that's crap. You, it's you, not true. It's, you're about to you make know, this guy's night and day right now, Jeff. And the reason being, cause this guy right here, he's one of the, the, avid wiping wiper fisherman right here and, yep. and the thing is he's really um all right don't brush your head or anything kit all right relax <laughs> sunshine is he all right? pretty good at it is he's pretty damn I, he's pretty damn good at it he's all right he has his moments all right we'll just say that but <laughs> he, i would uh, be all i would be all for a one fish over and, you know whatever and and he no, I, you know like wipers are yeah. my favorite and he loves the double digits wipers and he, you know, and it's really rare now. It, it just seems like it's been really rare in the past couple of years. And that's what um, fishing kit here. He, you know, kids been saying is that it's just been really rare to, to catch a double digit uh, wiper. And just like you're saying, if, if, if you guys do like a one over that specific, I think he would be more than thrilled. It yeah, wouldn't bother me one bit. Yeah. Oh, so, I would love it. <laughs> where are you fish? I mean, I don't want you to give me your fishing spot, but <laughs> when you say double digit, are you talking weight wise yes. over 10 pounds? Yeah. Yes. Okay. And so I'm, I'm going to tell you that what we've seen probably in the last decade or so is a lot of, um, a lot of out migration from Sailorville and Red Rock. There's a lot, you know, we get these big heavy pulses of, uh, you know, floods coming in and then really slowing down and we get a lot of movement out of these systems. So we're not maintaining that population in Sailorville the way we would like to see it. Hmm. But that's because those fish move with the, with the current. And when we get a lot of flow out of Sailorville, they mm -hmm. tend to go with the water and then when we get a lot of flow out of red rock they tend to go with the water hmm. so um you know we've we've sent a lot of them downstream and then you know you stock them but it takes a long time 
for those fish to grow to that size. Yeah. So when your bigger fish are leaving and all you're doing is replacing them with a smaller fish, you need, you know, a few years of more stable water flow for those things to really stabilize and become prevalent enough in the system that you're going to catch them because they're in there, Mm -hmm. but there's just not so many of them in there that you're likely to encounter them when you're out fishing. Mm. So, yeah. So yeah, I've always been curious, like, I know it just depends on the fishery and whatnot. Like what's the average age for like a five pound wiper, let's say. Five pound wiper is probably going to be six years old. I'm just, I'm ballparking that. I don't, I should have that data off the top of my head, but they're going to grow to probably eight inches that first year, probably 12 inches the second year, 16 inches the third, 18, which is going to be about a two pound fish the fourth year. It's probably even more than six a little bit, I'd say. Wow. But it also depends on the the availability of the shad. And mm. so what our shad populations go up and down uh, yeah. quite a bit. Um, but right now we have a really substantial shad population in Big Creek. Mm. If you were going to go target big hybrids, that's where I would go. I, I may have caught a wiper there or two. Hey, guys. (laughs) Now, I'm going to tell you this. If you're only targeting 10-pound fish, fine. But if you want to catch some pretty sweet 20-plus-inch hybrid striped bass, Uh Ada Hayden. Mm. Oh, I've heard. I've heard about that place. I've heard about it. It's a lot of water. Like, like it's deep. Like, really deep, isn't it? Like, 20 average. Well, 70. (laughs) Wow. I didn't know you got that deep. Wow. Holy cow. Yeah, it's uh it's the it's in the five deepest lakes in the state of Iowa. West Okaboji is the deepest. Brushy Creek is probably second. And then uh there's a, a quarry in Atlantic and and Ada Hayden is an old quarry, and both of them are well over 50 feet deep. Mm. So Interesting. I had no idea. Okay. All right, kid. We got to do recon. You, you know what we got to do now. First, at least now, the thing at Ada sure. Hayden is there's electric motors only. So you can't even have a gas motor on your boat. The guys that oh. do pretty well are fishing kayaks. Yeah. What's oh, up? yeah. I'm perfect. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a kayak guy. Yeah, I got kayak. <laughs> yeah. And I got kayak too. Yeah. That's, that's what we're going to actually be doing in Clear Lake this weekend. So we're going to be yak fishing up there. Nice. Uh, but yeah, we, 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 yeah, we don't have motorized boats or anything like that. So that, hey, that sounds awesome. Okay. We got to do some recon and then we're pretty big into ice fishing too. So that's going to, um, that's going to be a, a, a target lake now, kid. I think, um, hearing, hearing Jeff say that it's kind of got me very excited. Now what is, uh, so let's talk ice fishing for a little bit. What do you guys, what do you target ice fishing? Uh, me primarily, uh, when I, you know, I, at least in central Iowa and Iowa, um, I love crappies. I mean, you, you yep. can't, you can never go wrong with that. I mean, I can never catch enough of crappies. I love crappies. Yep. Now, uh, this gentleman over here finally got me onto to catch a wiper through the ice. Yep. So I'm not going to lie. That is probably going to be target number one this year. Yep. And yep. then this guy, I see him catch freaking huge catfish through the ice so sweet isn't it yeah Yeah, so now those are the two species i I think i'm gonna i mean those are probably the top three species i mean i still love walleye don't get me wrong i i I can can never go wrong with a walleye too so sorry uh but sorry my phone was ringing Uh, no worries (laughs) no worries Uh, zoom thing right there 
Yeah. But no, no. Yeah. But like I said, uh, to me, I, th- I think walleye crappies, now wipers, and, and I'm this year, I'm hoping this gentleman can get me on catfish through the ice. So yeah. what, what do you like, Kit? Yeah, for me, if all I catch is wipers and catfish through the ice, I'm, I'm happy. That's it. That's it for me. Like, I'm cool with crappies. You know, if I want a little quick little panfish meal, I'll go catch some crappies. <laughs> walleyes, uh, walleyes, eh, they're not too bad through the ice. But if I just had to pick two, it'd be wipers and cats. See, I, lo- I love crappies through the ice. Those are my favorite fish to, to eat. I mean, yes, if I'm going to eat I some agree. fish, I'd, I love going and catching crappies through the ice. I guess um, I guess one other fish uh, we 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 forgot yellow bass. I love. Oh we, yeah, yeah, that's we, a blast. Yeah, we love yellow, especially up at Clear Lake. And then um, yeah. we, you know, the past couple of years, we we always take the, the IGLs too. We we take a trip up there. We make a weekend trip with the family. I take the kids and stuff, and we get a place. And um, oh my gosh, yeah, you're right. When you catch those yellow bass, I'm telling you, anybody who listens to this doesn't live in Iowa. You guys got to make a trip once in your life, and you understand once you get on top of a school of yellow bass, it's it's an experience that a lot of people. Um, don't get to, we, we're lucky i i don't know how many other states uh near us around us have a lot of yellow bass i do you know anything about that or is it just so primarily? so here's the story of the yellow bass mm. yeah i was about to ask you but i think <laughs> i know where you're going so in the dust bowl in the 1930s mm-hmm. you 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 have to contemplate that the lock and dam system that exists on the mississippi river right now really didn't exist so there was this big expansive river with all these backwaters and everything else you know and and it was really it was cool but as the dust bowl and the droughts occurred a lot of the connections between these backwater lakes Mm -hmm. and the river dried up and then these lakes started to dry up and what they did is they did these fish rescues and so they had these big aquarium kind of cars on the train and they would load up these fish and rescue the fish from these backwaters of the Mississippi River. And then the, the train went like from, I don't remember if it was Guttenberg or Lansing or wherever, and it went over to Clear Lake. Mm. And so they would load these fish on the car by the Mississippi River and then take the train over to Clear Lake and dump the fish there and some other places too. Now, I can't say for sure, you know, the IGLs had a really low, if non-existent population of yellow bass, but Clear Lake has had a, a significant population since, well, there were graduate students at Iowa State in the 40s and 50s studying the yellow bass in Clear Lake. Wow. So... It's had a significant population of yellow bass for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I, it's my guess that when the fishing for the yellow bass got so good in Clear Lake in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. that some fish got planted in the oh, IGLs, not I by the Iowa DNR. Gotcha. But, right, but... I'm not 100% sure of that. There could have been, I mean, those train cars also went all the way to Spirit Lake from Clear Lake. So there could have been a, a low-lying population of yellow bass in the IGLs for a long time also. Mm-hmm. And that population of yellow bass there has really come on. You know, nature abhors a vacuum. 
So when the white bass population crashed out of the Iowa Great Lakes, that's when the yellow bass population really took off. Hmm. And so the fishery for yellow bass there right now is phenomenal. Hmm. But I forget exactly when it was, but it's probably eight, 10 years ago, the state record white bass was caught in uh, Spirit Lake. And it had been a long-standing uh, white bass record that was broken by this fish out of Spirit Lake, and I think it's been broken again out of Spirit Lake at least once since then. So, what was the what was the size to anyone on the white bass? That was like an eighteen and a half inch white bass, which is what kit? Really big. Yeah, kit. Um, <laughs> this a, this gentleman I got a nineteen inch white bass yesterday. Like, <laughs> I'll, lit, he, I'll, I'll have to send you the picture yeah. to verify, but I'm. I'm like 99% sure yeah. it was a white bass. Well, the picture, you, the way you verify is, is the mouth, the tooth. The, the tongue yeah. pad. Oh, yeah, oh. the tooth pad. Yep. Well, yeah. this guy, well, he didn't measure very well because he took the whole, like a whole inch off because he put the head way past the tape. I think he was too excited when he measured it. Yeah, I yeah. just yeah. wanted to get a picture and, you know, get it back. So Oh, kids. Well, that was the first one. I can't. I don't remember exactly what the current one is, but gotcha. you're right in that range. You're right oh, there. Boy, yeah, that new one's pretty big. I think I mm. want to say it was like over four pounds or something. I don't remember the, like, the yeah. length on it. Yep. Nice, nice, man. See, Kit, you never know. You man, this guy didn't didn't do good pictures or measurements. He could have had a record, possibly. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's not as big as the current record. No, it's a pretty nice white bass, though. Yeah, you caught a nice one. Um, my uncle still holds the record, the Iowa record for uh, um, the wipers. Hybrid. Yeah, my, that's my uncle uh, down nice. here in, the, in Des Moines. Actually, he lives like a couple blocks away from me. But uh, he really, yeah, he has it. On his wall, he still has the record, so he's like, "Yep, that's me." <laughs> he fished a lot to get that fish. Yeah, he did. I mean, I I've never met your uncle, uh-huh. but I know enough of the fish guys around that he was like an everyday there yep. fishing. <laughs> it was top guy. water too. He he told me he told me the whole story. He goes, "It was a, it was about a 20, 25 minute fight." He told me uh, it was a top water. It hit my popper, and he said it it was. Um, fish of a lifetime so and oh, yeah, in the current too a big fish like that in the yeah. current that's yeah. just phenomenal yeah just imagine i can just imagine so <laughs> thinking about pan fishing for ice fish this for ice fishing this winter i was just out sampling last week two weeks ago with um with our crew out of uh the rathman district we were fishing hot or we were not fishing we were netting at hawthorne lake by barn city just south of montezuma mm-hmm um, and just some really awesome crappies, bluegills, and um, and red ear sunfish in that mm-hmm. lake. And it's that's also really close to Lake Miami, which is uh, by Albia. Okay. That would be a great day trip to fish those two water bodies. Hmm. How, how far is that from Central Iowa? About you're you're still in Central Iowa. You're halfway to Iowa City, basically. So oh, oh, so okay. it's like fairly less an than hour. an hour. Then yeah, it's yeah, an, an hour. hour. I would hour. guess. Yeah. All right. Well, there we go, Kit. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm always down to you know for new places to fish. Hey, I agree with you. I'm, I'm you gotta go well, check it out. If you want some place close to home, I was just out sampling at uh, Badger Creek last mm. week and huge red ears in there. Red ears, plus huh? some nice bluegills. The crappies are all kind of eight inches ish. Yeah, not great crappie fish. That's I, that that was like it's been like that probably the past two years there i think uh yep. crappies it's it's when because i've ice fished a badger 
actually the last couple of years. It's it's about right. Yep. It's about eight inch, eight, nine inch. I haven't seen too big of crappies there. Uh bluegills, no, you're right. Actually, bluegills, I think last year, uh my cousin um and I went there and he he caught some pretty nice nine to ten inch, uh, not about nine, nine and a half inch uh bluegills. They're really nice size. Yep. I'm I'm starting then to if, see uh more and more hybrids come out of there too. Hmm. And if you uh if you want a little longer trip, Prairie Rose um is a great great lake um be a really good one to fish yet this fall the ice fishing there is always kind of goofy you know some lakes are good for ice fishing and some just are goofy like you'll yeah. only they'll only bite like at sunrise and sunset you know yeah. versus yeah. like some other lakes have an all-day bite prairie rose is not a fabulous ice fishing lake hmm. but i caught a master angler bluegill there this spring and um wow. this fall it's looking really good also oh yeah i kind of want to go back to the yellow bass a little bit um i know because like yellow bass can like it seems to be bad news for a lot of lakes yes they are um so like i say they were originally a river fish and so the reason that we don't hear about them in lakes in other states is like they didn't do the fish rescues out of the mississippi like we did mm-hmm and so we have them in some of these natural lakes up in northern Iowa. And they aren't, they aren't as problematic in those systems. Because when you think about a natural lake, it's like this great big bowl for the most part. They're, they're, you know, hmm. a glacier made them. So, so you've got this <laughs> shallow to deep part where the glacier melted. And there's a lot of lake for not very much littoral zone, shallow water, uh, vegetated habitat. Mm-hmm. When you think about our Southern Iowa lakes that were built that, you know, we dammed up a Creek, there is a lot more of the littoral zone and a lot less of the open water habitat. When there's a lot of that open water habitat available, then you know, they kind of roam around and, and don't bother everything else in that's spawning in the spawning zones very much. Mm-hmm. But when there's not as much room for them to roam, they tend to um, really overwhelm the bass, the bluegill that we see in those systems and the crappies too. Actually, you know, they, you'll have this school of yellow bass that will sense that a bluegill female is gravid and is ready to spawn and she'll go lay her eggs in a nest and they will go and eat all the eggs out of the nest i see so and that happens extensively in our constructed lakes you know Mm. lakes like badger creek Ah. like little river lakes like lake anita things like that and in these these uh, big bigger water bodies with lots of littoral area they just can't get to you know across the lake all the time to all these different places and those lakes aren't as dominated by the bluegills you know there's just a whole lot more fish in a natural lake many more species right versus in the lakes that we that were built we've got bass we got bluegills we got catfish we got crappies that's usually about it. Maybe we got some red ears in some of the lakes, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, and then they just lock in on 
those baby bluegills and they decimate them and they decimate the baby bass and you get those yellow bass nut system and they just ruin everything else. So, so. my other question then, because that, that leads to is that, okay, invasive species. For some reason, you know, it, it got it got the name of, you know, yellow bass is an invasive species, but um, Kevin pretty much, you know, confirmed that. It's not, it was labeled that way, but for whatever odd reason. So what is the definition of an invasive species and what is in, I guess, central Iowa or Iowa in itself, uh, what are the, I guess, the main invasive species do we see up here? Okay, so Iowa has a, an, an, an invasive species, a nuisance law, okay? And so here in Iowa, a yellow bass is not on that list, mm-hmm. like the Asian carp are on that list, mm-hmm. and, and there's some uh, snails on that list, the zebra mussel and quagga mussels are on that list. Hmm. there's some hmm. some other things some plants that are on that list the yellow bass isn't on that on that legal list so okay. kevin may be correct in that regard gotcha. however yeah. i think it's fair to say that invasive species is a spe- is a species out of place hmm. and the place for the yellow bass naturally is the mississippi river hmm the Clear Lake, the Iowa Great Lakes, we're not going to term that an invasive species, but it is it is not natural, natural. to that system. Ah, uh, that okay. Makes, does that make oh, sense? Oh, that it is does. that is clear. No, because I <laughs> there were so much people saying that's invasive, and then you got people like, no, it's not there's a list that is not on there, and then you got people like, and yes, now that is okay. Now I'm yes. crystal clear now, on that one. The common carp is not natural to North America. That was stocked here. That Ooh, that really okay. is a problematic species in many of our systems. Um, grass carp are not native to North America. Now we aren't, you know, necessarily putting them on that invasive species list. I don't have it off the top of my head. I mean, I know the yeah, Asian carp are on there and so yeah. on, but those those are also not natural to here. And they do cause problems in certain systems. And, and the common carp causes problems in darn near every system it's in to some degree or another. We're not going to go try and eradicate it from every system. Mm-hmm. But like we just did this uh, restoration project on Hickory Grove Lake um, by Nevada, just out, you know, 15 miles from Ames. And the problem species in that system were grass carp and common carp. And there were, you couldn't find a plant growing in that lake because the common carp and the grass carp eliminated everything. So it had some nice bass, it had some nice bluegills, it had some nice crappies, but in reality, it should have 10 times more quality bass, quality bluegills, quality crappies, etc. And the reason that it didn't was those common carp and those grass carp. So we drained the lake. We did a chemical treatment to kill all the fish in the lake. We're going to refill it once it starts to rain again and restock it. And we're going to put the species in there that, that belong in there. The bass, the bluegills, the crappies, the catfish. We're probably going to put some walleyes in there, stuff like that. So, yeah. Huh. Oh, yeah. I, I was wondering, so like, so what should like the angler do when they like encounter a, mm. in, an invasive or a, you know, unnatural fish in a body of water? I see on Facebook. People are like, oh, just throw it on the rocks. It doesn't belong in there. Like, what do you suggest people do when they find that, that fish? Yeah. Right. So doing that is not going to impact the population at all. 
So if you're not going to consume it or use it, then you should probably just put it back. Because okay. we can say whatever we want about, you know, making a difference by removing that fish, but you're not making a difference by removing one fish. Okay. Yeah. Cause so, I went fishing down at Red Rock one time and there was like Asian carp. There was probably like 20 or 30 just laid, laid all over the rock. Yep. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't make for a good fishing experience. Exactly. That. You're, you're ruining the fishing experience for somebody else by doing that. So that, that's not being a good neighbor. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like the guys that leave their worm containers, you know, they were too lazy to pick up the worm container mm -hmm. when they were done fishing. Like, come on guys, you're making a bad name for all of us. And by throwing those fish up on the bank, it's, it's kind of the same deal. You, mm -hmm. we, we can do better as anglers. We can do better. We need to do better. Right. That's yeah. one yeah. part. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. Cause it was like, Oh man, so annoying seeing that. Right. Right. Yeah, and, right. you know, historically, there was talk about that, but that's, I mean, I, I'm not going to say that the DNR never said that, but that's certainly nothing we've said in the last 25 years. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of one of those old wives tales. That's that. That's what you're supposed to do. No, right. Yeah. Not. Gotcha. Um, anyway, <laughs> this one's always, I don't know if you know anything about this. I, I, I just wanted to know, because I was talking to a fishing kid before. Um, what is the biggest law that's always broken by fishermen? Do you know that by chance? And I just want, I know it's just kind of out of nowhere, but I'm just <laughs> curious, like, all right, is it someone who fishes without a license? Someone who keeps too many fish is over limit? I just want to know that. I don't know. I just, I'm just curious. That's why. So, so like, what kind of law are we talking about? Because like telling the truth would be the number one law that's broken by fishermen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would, I, I would say <laughs> true. I would say uh, any fishing uh, regulation laws that that's you know in our state what what would right. you say like the biggest law that all right guys quit trying to get away with it we see it all the time type of deal right so i i don't have the data that's a, that's our law enforcement guys not me so that's yeah, the officers yeah. that's what i figured i would have to guess though that it's fishing without a license i'm okay. i'm pretty confident that's probably and to be honest when that law is broken if if the officer tells that into if the officer is, issues a citation mm -hmm. the money goes to the general fund of the state of iowa if the officer ish says you need to show up within 24 hours and show me your fishing license just go get one then the money comes to the dnr ah so if you're if you're the officer what are you gonna do ask for compliance or issue the citation I mean, to be honest, and if the guy's a jerk, then he's, you know, then they're probably going to get the citation because yeah. that's actually more money. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yeah. we, we, that's not the goal. The goal is to get people to do the right thing. So, okay. plus, you may not know this, but the Iowa Fisheries, Wildlife, and Law Enforcement Bureaus of the Iowa DNR are 100% funded by hunting licenses, fishing licenses, and the taxes that we pay on our fishing and hunting equipment. Mm -hmm. So like when you go to the grocery store or when you go to the gas station and, and pay the sales tax on whatever you buy or your Iowa income taxes, not one cent of that goes to the Iowa DNR, to fisheries and, and, and wildlife. 
we are completely 100% funded by the purchase of hunting and fishing licenses. And the excise taxes that you pay on a fishing rod, on a gun, on ammunition, on fishing line, stuff like that. I had no idea. That's, um, that's really, that's good to know because, you know, I mean, like I said, though, I mean, Iowa has probably one of the, it doesn't even cost that much for a fishing license, guys. 22 bucks. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's actually because I have family that's from, um, my my in-laws are from, you know, Colorado, Denver area. And they, they go all over to fish, you know, they fish in Kansas, they fish in, you know, Colorado, obviously, and everything, Nebraska. They're like Iowa's fishing license, you know, a non-resident or even a resident. They go, dude, you guys got the, an amazing, uh, uh, the price and everything. And, you know, they're just like, dude, you guys should take, you know, everybody here that fishes here should really take advantage and take care of the system. I agree. <laughs> so, Jeff, you you're, you talk about like the data and stuff a lot. So, yes. Um, on the DNR website, there's this tool that I used to use all the time when I'm scouting out new lakes. And it was the the fish survey data. Like I noticed that kind of disappeared. I heard it might be coming back. <laughs> Look at Jeff. I heard it might be coming back. And I'm checking on there every now and then. Like, all right, is it back yet? Is it back yet? Hmm. We got him. He's got. He's got to yeah. take a drink. He's got to take a drink. That, that look, I don't know. I don't know about that look on your face. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's funny. I heard it was a <laughs> we got one <laughs> person, like he retired and took his computer, and that's why it's, it's not there anymore. That's that what is- I heard. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, some of this information is not for public consumption. <laughs> <laughs> so. We, the Iowa DNR, when we started providing all of that fish survey information, technology that we were allowed to use was not really the, um, we couldn't always use kind of software that we wanted to use. And if you remember looking at that, there were like these graphs that showed how many fish of whatever size for this species at this lake kind of thing. So that software that was used to make those graphs was not a piece of software that was approved for use on state of Iowa systems. So we were working with Iowa State University. We were using um, a professor there, a number of uh, a grad student and some programmers there. So we would enter all of our data over the internet into a database at Iowa State University. Mm-hmm. And then we would serve that data back out to the public via that system and that server at Iowa State. And like we had this little window from the DNR's website that you actually went to the Iowa State website kind of behind the scenes and that would display the data. The professor at Iowa State did retire. (laughs) He did unplug his server and take it with him to Minnesota. And then we realized that, well, there had been an agreement for the data to be backed up and put somewhere else that really didn't happen. So um, then it came back for a while, was not being supported. So there came a day when that just had to go away. And 
Kit, you're, you're not getting it back, Kit, okay? That's <laughs> not true. Oh, mm. all right. Oh, okay. So this brings us to maybe January of 2018. Since that point, in, and I'm in charge of everything that you're, we're talking about right now. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. So okay. <laughs> like 10 years ago, I um, proposed a project for us to start taking little tablet PCs out in the field and collecting the data from our nets and our shocking everything else and having it go into a database and basically update the system at Iowa State and make it our own. And that didn't get funded, didn't get funded, didn't get funded. This little disaster that we have just talked about came along and then we decided that maybe this was an important thing to do. So the data has not been available since about January of 2018. Mm -hmm. Right now we have uh, taken on this new project. All of the old data that was in that server that you used to be able to see, I still have. Okay. And that has been loaded into the database with our new contractor. We are collecting data on tablets in the field right now. Nice. And I actually have the ability to see all of the data that you used to look at, plus the new data. And this winter, we will, all, we will be entering all of the 2018 and 2019 data into this system as well. Soon and very soon, <laughs> you will not only have all of the old data, but all of the new data, and you'll actually be able to see lots of newer and cooler things than we used to even be able to provide you. So <laughs> this was not planned, by the way, Jeff. We, I, he, he came up with this, and he just, I, I had no idea. That's all right. <laughs> That's okay. I love I, it. That's awesome. I have to own this. This is this is there's nobody that this falls on other than this guy right here that you're talking to except for the people that i kind of would like to have had fund my project because i knew 10 years ago we might have this problem and it came along and it was a problem and then we just we had to deal with it as best we could and this is one of the most common questions that i get is why don't we have this data anymore and when can i get it back there you go. So yes. funny. And but, I've been answering that question for two and a half years. It's not my favorite question to answer because it <laughs> reflects poorly on me and the quality of work that I've been doing. But it's I, I can see the data and you'll be able to see the data soon. And I think you'll really, really like it. It's, oh, it's it, coming. It will be even it will be even easier to plan your future fishing trips with mm. some of the new tools and the new displays of data that we're going to have available to you guys. Man. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Like I, I yeah, used man. it a ton the way it was before, but if it's just, you know, easier and ha ha gives us better access. Oh man, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm like, this is, this, this is like such good news. Hey, look at him. Can't, you can't wipe that smile off him anymore right now. This guy. Hey, so. I tell you, ain't going to be nobody <laughs> smiling more than this guy when that goes up live again. I hear you. I hear you. Um, actually that kind of leads, I, I kind of want to know because so you know a lot of times uh outdoorsmen they tend to either whine or gripe and you know they give the dnr kind of a bad name or you know whatever and they just kind of whatever the case would be what do you feel is the biggest struggle for i guess the whole iowa dnr you know what i'm saying like whether is it reputation is it 
money funding is it compliance um i just i, I want to know because i want to know your business a little bit i just want to know what what is your guys biggest struggle as as the iowa dnr tough question because remember i'm i'm not i'm i'm i yeah. work for the dnr it's um, off the clock <laughs> it's off the clock we we can edit certain things out too if you want Jeff. <laughs> I, I i can give you a fair and accurate answer okay i believe so i think the biggest challenge in the state of iowa is balancing the need for us to appropriately utilize the quality land, soil, and agricultural production needs that we have a societal responsibility to fulfill here mm -hmm. and balance that with the need of the citizens of Iowa to be able to enjoy the natural resources of the state in a way that is undamaged and and appropriate and healthy easy terms people would just be good people and good citizens and obey by whatever you know the laws but also you know, it's, appreciate it's it's our bigger than that okay so we have the most altered landscape on the planet yes i mean when you if you drive from Des Moines to Clear Lake. You're going to do that this weekend, right? Mm -hmm. So when you drive and you're just south of Ames and you're driving over the Skunk River and you see this big floodplain, if you can go in your mind back to the 1850s, that was impassable. That was a that was a, a monstrous wetland that was, you know, there wasn't that river valley that river, that, that whole thing in the spring was impassable, you know, with, with snow melt and everything else. It would, you couldn't get from Des Moines to Ames without going like clear all the way around almost to, you know, Colo and Marshalltown and, and wow. then swing around. Wow. So that was impassable. You drive north of Ames and you're on the, Des Moines, you're in the best cropland the best soils in the world so every inch of farmland that you see is an altered landscape it was prairie it was a nominal natural resource okay and i have i don't have an issue with that being agriculture and being farm fields now it's but you know it's it's also that the skunk river in Ames used to have muskies. Muskies. There's a muskie in the fish lab at Iowa State that was collected in the Skunk River in the 1800s. Okay. Wow. There hasn't been a muskie in here in a hundred years. It would be really wow. cool if we could have muskies in the Skunk River. It would be, and, and, and the farmers, the vast majority of them want to do the right thing, but it's not economical to do the right thing. So do they do they farm the right way mm. or do they farm, you know, it, it, and, and a lot of them are farming the right way. I don't want to say that they're not, they're farming to survive, you yeah. know, 
Yeah. So when we're in this landscape and, you know, we need to be doing the production agriculture that we're doing, but we also have a responsibility to our citizens to, you know, to do our best for improving the water quality and do our best for having outdoor opportunities to hunt and fish and, and to go see what a wetland looks like and see what a prairie looks like and, and see what a gallery forest along the Des Moines River, like at Ledges State Park looks like. You know, that's, that's important too. And it's, I think we've realized it's even more important now after the whole coronavirus and thing, when people are really valuing those opportunities to get outside and enjoy, you know, the natural amenities. So, yep. you know, sense. that's there. It's, it's a, it's a philosophical answer. <clears throat> yeah, no, that's a tough, it's a tough, it was a tough question. I don't know how the hell I came up with that, but it was a tough question, but no, I, I, I understand. I, I totally get it. Yeah, it's it's not something that is easily fixable and answerable, I guess you can say. No. Um, it's so really, here's, you know. I mean, here's this, when you, when you go on that drive, um, you're going to cross the Iowa River up um, by the Dow's exit. And I want you to look out and I want you to look at that Iowa River and it's really low right now. But what you're going to see is bare stream banks, both upstream and downstream. And what you actually see there is, you know, you're going to look at that and you say, why is that stream cutting down? Why is there so much bare stream bank right there? That thing must be eroding like crazy if, if you think about this at all. And that's not true. Our stream bottoms, at least here in central and in eastern Iowa, are the same place they were 150 years ago. They have not cut down at all. But we've got these gigantic stream banks that are bare. Well, from the 1840s to the 1930s, all of our hilltops, we were farming up and down the hills and they eroded like crazy. And all of our hilltops are now on our river valleys. So there is six feet of sediment, you know, of dirt in that river valley that used to be on the hilltop that you can see off in the distance. So we are fighting against problems that are a century old. Mm, And we're going to be fighting against those problems for the next century. And the farmer that's farming right next to it, he didn't do that. Mm. That's not his fault. You know, we've got these, we've got these almost inconceivable issues that we need to try and deal with to solve the problems that exist here and now that we're trying to figure out and it's just like wow you try and wrap yeah. your mind around that and it's like oh my it, goodness this is crazy it's, um us as a general public we had no idea you know what i mean it's just yeah. we were just i think we all just kind of living our lives and just doing whatever we do we don't even think yeah. twice about that so that's man that's mind-blowing i don't know man this this holy crap we've been talking for like an hour now it's just like dude i am my brain has absorbed so much, Jeff. I, I truly appreciate. And I'm just like, man, dude, this is, no, this is great information. Anybody who listens to this or watches this, um, I think they're going to gain so much. Uh, even if they're not even from Iowa, I think they're going to gain so much. But I mean, can, you have any other uh, last questions or anything for, for Jeff to, um, because gosh, man, I want him back again. I don't know if that, if, if you have time Absolutely. again, Jeff. I'd love okay. to come back. Cool. We haven't even, we've barely dove into all like the stuff that i do so yeah so that i definitely want to be able to do that because i mean it's just so much that i you know i think we all can learn more but go ahead yeah. go ahead Jay. yeah actually i do have something uh you're talking do about need, how wait, 
Uh, so my beer just, I, I just finished my beer. Is it time for another beer? I, you know uh, what? I'm ready for another one. Actually. We're, we're, we're an hour. Let's go get another one. I'm down with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah.